So um, I want to start off by saying God made everyone um, as beings who worship. It's just part of our design. And I'm sure uh, you know this from your own experience, um, that all people are inclined to worship. Um, and I, you can tell what people worship by what they are most devoted to. So what fills your mind, what drives your actions. Uh, and I'll share you some of the temptations that I, um, uh, of, of my worship. Sometimes I, I like to, I, or I'm tempted to worship myself. Um, uh, I am devoted to um, what I look like, what my social media pages have. Now that there's like a million of them, you know, I can make sure I look good in all of them, right? Um, I sometimes am tempted to worship things like music and uh, music equipment. Um, sometimes I get really obsessed with all the intricacies. I shared about Stanley Kubrick. You know, I get in these weird, like, obsessive modes where I just like to, 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 to get in there and, and, you know, really go for the marrow. And um, so we, if we look around, we can see uh, that everyone worships something, right? Um, at the end of the day, though, we are created, we've been created to devote our affection, um, our time and effort to something or someone. Uh, and we generally will do everything within our means to be very near that object of worship, no matter what the cost. And sometimes that cost is our own lives. But to truly live in worship, uh, we must worship God and worship him alone. That's what we were created and designed to do. Um, um, and I have to ask the question, though, like, why should we worship God? Why? Why is it important to worship him? And you could say um, that he's, the, he's holy, right? You could say that he's the creator, um, that he deserves obedience. But I, I think that true worship um, comes from um, gratitude, and it's, and it's a form of expressing how grateful we are because he saved us, Right? So our gratitude should be fuel for worship. And I have this little line I just put, it's a life of gratitude leaves a legacy of worship. And um, so we're going to be looking at Psalms 42 through 49 in the next two months. And those were written by these uh, group of men. They were called the Sons of Korah. Um, So these guys, I feel like they understood gratitude very, very clearly. Uh, and their gratitude informed and fueled their worship. And uh, we want to ask, like, how? how? What were they grateful for? What, what happened? Um, so this morning, we're going to take a look into their, uh, their family history. We're going to learn how they became uh, such fervent worshipers. Um, we're going to learn from their example um, and actually learn even from their pain and their gratitude. So um, let's open up our Bibles to the book of uh, Numbers, chapter 16. Um, if you uh, need a Bible, um, Kevin's going to hand them out back there. And uh, it's in page 85 in that Bible. But if you have this Bible, it's page 107. So um, so the sons of Korah, you could probably make sense that their father was Korah. So we're going to take a look, right? Yeah. We're going to take a look at this guy. Who was this guy? Who was Korah? Um, before we read uh, number 16, 
uh, we're going to, yeah, who, so who is this guy? Um, and if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, the story of Israel, um, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and God finally frees them from Pharaoh and the Egyptian deities through, um, through the plagues. God displays his power over all. He splits open the Red Sea, and led by Moses, they go through. Um, finally, they meet at this place called Mount Sinai. And here's where Moses meets God in the burning bush, and um, he receives this, uh, the, old, the covenant that God was to have with his people. And in this covenant, there was a lot of instructions on such things like the tabernacle, which was supposed to be the dwelling place of God. It represented his presence in his people. Um, it had instructions on what was called the Levitical priesthood. And this is important because Korah was actually uh, a, a Levite. Um, so from Mount Sinai, God calls them into the promised land, which Talon read about earlier. Um, so they're on their way. They're journeying through the wilderness. Um, but many people start to complain and grumble. And even though they were slaves in Egypt, they would actually prefer to go back because they say over there, you know, we had land, we had food, we had stuff. Um, so here we are at Numbers 16, and just as this insurrection, this rebellion has begun, and it's led by this guy, Korah, um, from the, from, he's the father of the sons of Korah. So we're going to read 40 verses. I know that's a lot, but hang with me. It's a good story, I promise. Let's read uh, Numbers chapter 16, uh, verse 1. Oh, before we start, I have some friends who are going to help me. Um, so if you are a visual learner, this is for you, all right? Um, and if you, yeah, if not, just stick to the, stick to the Bible. But it is, it is kind of cool. Um, it is pretty awesome. All right, Numbers, number 16. Now Korah, the son of Izar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for in all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his, and who is holy, and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all his company. Put fire in them, and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, and that he has brought you near him? And all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you? 
And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you must also make yourself a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very angry, and he said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them. I have not harmed one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow, and let every one of you take his censer, put incense on it, and every one of you bring the censer before the Lord. 250 censers, you also, and Aaron each his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tent of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, to take up the censers out of the blaze. Then scatter the fire far and wide, for they have become holy. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar. For they offered them before the Lord, and they became holy. Thus they shall be assigned to the people of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers which those who were burned had offered, and they were hammered out as a, a covering for the altar, to be a reminder to the people of Israel, so that no outsider who is not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest he become like Korah and his company, as the Lord said to him through Moses. And this is the word of the Lord. Whew, has an intense story, right? It's kind of long. Um, but this is definitely a, like, Luke, I am your father um, moment, you know? <laughs> and I, I found this little thing online. It's kind of funny. But, man, the sons of Korah, they, they wrote these psalms. like, And then we look back, we trace back their lineage, and who who was this guy? Korah was... Uh, not a good guy. This is definitely a, dang it, my father really messed things up. Um, so Korah is, let's just to recap his, his character and, and think about who he is. Uh, and he's a rebel primarily. Um, first of all, he's the, he's the main ringleader. Um, he's the spokesman of this uprising against Moses. And, and little did he know that it was actually an uprising against God. Um, he's a conspirator. He and two others, Dathan and Abiram, planned and schemed this, this rebellion. He's a, a false accuser. In verse 3, he occur, uh, um, Numbers um, 16.3, he accuses Moses of exalting himself above the congregation. He is a, an ungrateful Levite. Uh, and this is important because Korah is a Levite, and the Levites had the responsibility and the privilege of caring for the tabernacle. Um, this was, again, the meeting place of God. Um, but he wasn't a priest. It was Aaron and his sons that were only allowed to have these priestly responsibilities. But Korah was a jealous man. He was jealous of Aaron's lineage. And he wanted that right to set up his own lineage with that special privilege. He wasn't okay with just being a Levite, even though that was even a special distinction in the nation of Israel. He's an instigator. Korah's an instigator. Um, verses 3 and 12 through 14 say this. And um, whereas Korah wanted positions of influence and authority, he actually he leverages the desires of these two other men, Dathan and Abiram, um, to fuel the rebellion so Korah wants position and influence, and they want wealth and land, but he uses them and their desires to rally more rebels. So he's an instigator. And, uh, and I think the most important thing uh, is that he's um, presumptuous. Uh, he's presumptuously pious, I put. Um, this is probably the most sinister of all of, of his motives. So Korah's accusations and his demands for quote-unquote justice came from this false sense of piety. Verse 3, he says, the whole congregation is holy. So Korah presumes 
that he and the others had special rights. And he couldn't see that God was the one who had appointed Moses and Aaron into this special leadership. In desiring to be a priest, Korah actually only cares about his position, his influence, his authority, and he doesn't actually care about the presence of God. So Korah believed that just because God had chosen the nation of Israel, and on top of that, that he had chosen the Levites to have special responsibilities, that God would overlook this pride and this sin. And it was as if God owed him the privilege to be a priest. So Korah really worshipped himself, and he wanted to be worshipped by people. So Korah is a really bad example of what it means to worship God, in short. He's a really bad example of what it means to live in worship. He worshipped himself, his status, his lineage as a Levite, his affluence, and he demanded recognition. So if Korah died in this rebellion, how is it that his children, the sons of Korah, came to write such worshipful psalms? Didn't his lineage die in the rebellion? Now, the, the, the truth is that he, the lineage should have died in that rebellion. They should have been also swallowed up by the ground that took their wicked father. But God, their heavenly father, is merciful and gracious and he had a plan to restore the sons of Korah. So let's, uh, let's turn a couple pages to Numbers 26, verses 9 through 11. And here we're reading years later, right when they're about to enter into the promised land. Moses takes a census of all the Israelites. And here in the middle of the census, we read the, the most astounding sentence. Let's read uh, uh, Numbers 26, verse 9. The sons of Eliab, Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. These are the Dathan and Abiram chosen from the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah when they contended against the Lord. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. When, the com- when that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a warning. And here it is, verse 11. Can we all just read it together? It would be awesome. But the sons of Korah, they did not die. Isn't that awesome? Do you see what's going on, man? They deserve to die. Like, um, and the thing is, God delights in restoring the worship of future generations. See, God could have allowed that lineage of Korah to die when the earth swallowed up all those people. But God did not let them die because he wanted to display his mercy and his grace in the lives of these sons of Korah. God himself has told us that he shows steadfast love to a thousand generations. And he protected the sons of Korah from following in the legacy of their wicked father. God gave the sons of Korah a new legacy under his own fatherhood. And when you read these Psalms, Psalms 42 through 49, you will see how aware they are that God gave them a second chance. Isn't that good? So God restored the ministry of worship to these sons of Korah. And later on in the history of Israel, Israel, 
we, uh, we read that uh, when King David takes the throne, he actually appoints these guys, the sons of Korah, to serve at the tabernacle once more. And it's a beautiful moment of restoration. First um, uh, Chronicles chapter 6 and, sa- and chapter 9, they tell us that these sons of Korah became musicians. They became keepers of the gate of the tabernacle. They became bakers of the holy bread of the presence. Basically, they were allowed to be near the presence of God once more even though the sons of Korah did not deserve to be, to be near the presence of God at all. And when we read their psalms, we see how overwhelmingly grateful they actually are to be near to God and how their hearts are full of worship, full of devotion, how they delight to be in his presence. And as, I'm going to read a couple of these lines. And as we go through this in the next two months, let's remember this story um, of, the, of Korah and the rebellion. So this, this is what the sons of Korah write. In Psalms 42 through 49. These are just a a couple of excerpts. They wrote things like, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Though, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. Psalm 46, 1 and 2. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. Clap you hands, O you people, shout unto God with loud songs. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. Psalm 47, 4. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Like sheep they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Psalm 49. Do you hear their history in these psalms? Do you hear their confidence and their worship and their gratitude? Do you hear their honest acknowledgement even that their earthly fathers failed them, but that their heavenly father has given them a new life in his presence? And this is what God does. God repairs and restores our broken legacy, the broken legacy of the sons of Korah into his own fatherhood. And just how God restored their, their ministry God has restored to us the gift of worship in Jesus Christ. So let's, let's compare Korah with Jesus Christ. Um, Korah rebels against God. Um, Moses warned him, right, to stand down, but he wouldn't. But unlike Korah, Jesus submitted to God. And in the garden, right before he had to go to the cross, he asked, Jesus asked his father if there's any other way to let this cup pass. But Jesus submits to the will of the father and he says, not my will, but yours be done. Korah was an ungrateful Levite. He was not okay with the gifts and status that God had given him. He wanted more. He wanted to lift himself up, to exalt himself, to have more authority, status, and recognition But on the other hand, when we look to Jesus, the king of all creation, he actually took off his authority and his status and recognition, and he lowered himself and became a priest for us to reconcile us to God at the cost of his own life. And this was his great love for us and his great obedience to the Father. Korah's sinfulness led him to his death, the grave, Sheol. But Jesus' sinless life led him to his death, an undeserved death as the spotless lamb. And like Korah, we deserved that death, 
But Jesus died in our place. Korah's pride endangered other people. He endangered the lives of Abiram and Dathan, 250 men and their families. And the cost of Korah's sin was not only his own life, but the lives of many others. On the other hand, though, Jesus, his obedience saved people. He suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And Jesus' death brought about the salvation of so many people. Korah's life ended at his death, but Jesus was glorified when he was raised from the dead. And he was a foreshadow of the inheritance that God has prepared for his children. Korah orphaned sons. His pride led him to leave many behind. But Jesus brought about the adoption of many children who are born again into his inheritance by his heavenly seed. And I wanted to quote this, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. So we've been born again, and this new nature is one of royalty because of the shed blood of Jesus. We share in his inheritance. We can live into our new nature because of the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask us today, how will we respond to God's desire for us to live in worship? How is God asking you right now to respond to him? And I I want us to think about this response in two different ways. One is, how will we respond as individuals? And number two is, how will we respond as a church, as a congregation? Um, And if we're truly grateful for what he's done for us, um, our our individual worship won't be contained to Sunday mornings. It won't be confined, right? Our individual life should be full of gratitude, gratitude to the one who gave his life for ours. And we have to stop worshiping things or other people. We have to stop worshiping ourselves. We can't let circumstances destroy our devotion to God because he loves us and he gave his life for us so that we might have his life in abundance. So as as you're spending time listening to what God might be calling you to do and leading you, I wanted to share a story of when God restored my individual worship. Um, so a, a few years ago, I, I, um, I was working at a church, and it was a very toxic place, um, very broken culture. Um, there was pastors who hurt my family, um, my own family was hurting themselves. I was hurting myself and others. And in the middle of that, I, I began to, to retreat. Um, and I had this, this idea of like, okay, so why is the Christian life that I observe, why is it so messed up? And when I went to the, to the scriptures, I would see like this is not the life that Jesus talks about. He talks about abundant living. Um, so I always had that question. I was like, God, what, you know, what's going on? Um, and I was tempted to have my faith depend on others and the people around me and to let my circumstances dictate my faith. But uh, one day I, I went with my mom. We went to this prayer room at this church. And uh, you, it's kind of it's systematized. So you take a number and, um, and, yeah, you have to wait. There's like three or four prayer rooms. And they have a big like foyer, um, like a waiting room before the prayer room. And in that waiting room, um, there was a guy just playing the, the acoustic guitar, worshiping, singing, praising God. And, you know, you're, 
everybody in that room is pretty broken, you know. If you go through the trouble of getting a number and, you know, you know, like, so we're there and, um, and my, uh, yeah, my mom and I, and it's just, it's been a, a wreck of, uh, of a season. And um, there's this little girl who, there was a table actually of children and they were all writing things and like drawing and stuff. And a little girl came up to me and she gave me that. Um, she said this, God will restore you. And I remember in that moment, feeling the, the presence of God and just, um, I knew that he was looking out for me, you know. And um, and this is crazy, you know, we're talking about like uh, this child who maybe maybe all she did was like, was was told by somebody to, listen to God and write something. And if you feel like God's prompting you to give this to someone, go and give it to them. And that's probably, I was the recipient of that, you know? And, um, and I, I knew in that moment that God had a plan for my life and, and it was, it was, it was incredible. Um, he, that was a, a very deep moment for me, um, in my life with God. So how is God asking you to respond individually today? How does he want to restore you this morning to live a life of worship? And how does God want you to respond corporately to as his church, as the church of Solano? Um, imagine what it would look like for this congregation to fully live out what it means um, to worship God. Um, and as we're thinking about that, I just wanted to share a couple stories. Uh, one of the most powerful corporate uh, worship times that I ever had was in in India, and we went and and um, you know there's a group of like twenty of us, and we had these hosts um, that would drive from far away just to be with you know with the Americans, and they um, they were like our tour guides, but they were also pastors. And um, one day, I think it was like the day before we left, we we like packed all of us into this little teeny tiny hotel. And if you've been in in India, man, their hotels, well at least in this city, it was like it's not like a, you know, it's not like what we have over here. It was, it was small. And so we were here and we're packed and there's these, like, we just sang songs for like two hours, prayed. And uh, it was incredible because a lot of these pastors had, um, you know, they, they told us stories of how they had been flogged for spreading the gospel and they had the scars, you know, and I was in there and I just remember being so overwhelmed with, with um, God's presence and, and, um, I, I remember him calling me to a deeper worship in that moment. Um, and it was awesome. People just like praying for each other and, and that sort of thing. And uh, one other story I wanted to share is uh, Judah. I'm going to put him on the spot where is it? right there. Um, but I was talking with, so we're thinking of corp, how to respond in corporate worship. And I was, I was over at John's house way too late probably. And, um, and he tells me, uh, we, you know, we always like to talk about church, and and generally it's like borderline criticism, but it's more like our desires for like to see the congregation of Solano. I, I'm, I love you, John. <laughs> uh, it's 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 really this desire to see this congregation just grow and and to step into the next level, you know. Um, and and he shared this story where. Um, you know, Judah, we were talking about the prayer ministry in the back and these extended times of prayer that we have for people. 
And he shared with me that Judah was, he asked him, he asked John. Um, Judah is John's son, by the way, uh, if you don't know that. But he asked John, he's like, you know, he's like, you know, Dad, if I, if I stood up there for prayer, do you think that people would come to me, like, even though I'm a child, you know? And his, his, his devotion, his, his courage to, to even ask that question should really challenge us, you know? We, we all have gifts to offer in this congregation. It's not about the people up here. It's not about some elite. It's not about the elders that we just installed. We all have been given a, a gift by the Holy Spirit to act out and to exercise. And, um, yeah, I just want, I want that to, to, to sit with us. I, I believe God wants us to model worship to the younger generation, right? Um, for those of you who have children, how, how do you model worship for your children? When they see you here in this congregation, what do they see? Do they see brokenness? Do they see devotion? Uh, and for those without children, how, how are we modeling worship for our brothers and sisters? And if we look at the, the Psalms of the sons of Korah, they modeled devotion. They modeled gratitude and praise, and their testimony is written in these Psalms. Um, and I just want to challenge us. You know, we can't afford to sit as passive participants. Um, we have to be proactive. When we gather here, um, we should look to, to give, actually, uh, and to give God praise and to give one another um, blessings. And I, I believe God wants us to, to take initiative, you know, uh, of worship. Um, so uh, I, I got to get my thoughts because I, I kind of went off script a little bit. But, uh, but it's good, man. I, I, I hope that, that as, you're, as, you're, as you're listening to God and what he, how he might be calling you to respond, that you would just really open yourself up to him. And I, I would say, like, let's just take risks together. Um, so uh, I, I, I wanted to say a couple things else. Um, and I want to say this with no condemnation at all. Um, with my heart just full of love for this congregation, but we can't allow the tools and gifts that God has given us to hold back our faith, right? Um, uh, we as a church have to let faith shape the things that God has given us, and um, I want us not to confuse stewardship with worship, right? God has given us things, but we shouldn't worship those things. We should steward them in a way, and God is the only one who... Um, who should, who should take our first and foremost devotion. Um, and that can't be to our, ourselves, our jobs, our financial situation, our careers, or our families. Uh, we can't worship our comfort. We got to stop. When, uh, when we were born again, um, our hearts were made to find rest and comfort in worshiping our God. Um, so I just want to continue asking, what would it look like if our congregation was living in worship of Jesus? What would it look like if our devotion as Solano Church uh, was in full force, um, yeah, and I, I believe I, I believe that God wants this congregation to be filled with the poor, um, with the outcasts of society, with the sojourner, the widow, and the orphan. God has a heart for these people, and um, I believe He wants us to look diverse in our education, in our wealth, in our ethnicities. And for the most part, here at Solano, we're, we're very, very wealthy and educated and successful people. But more than earthly wealth, 
We've been given the most valuable person ever, and that's Jesus Christ. So I long to see this congregation full of people who are united um, under Jesus as our king and shepherd of our lives. And, um, yeah, man, there's so much to say, but the awesome thing is that God is in, he's in the business and he delights to restore us. He delights to restore you today. Um, and, and as we move into uh, a time of response, um, let's just, uh, yeah, let's just act. Um, before we come to the communion table, let's just say, all right, God, like, what's that next step that you want me to do? What, how do you want me to follow you today in this congregation? And, um, yeah, let's, let's pray. And I hope, I mean, I hope that you guys don't feel condemned at all because this is really, it's not a condemnation. It's just, I love this congregation. I've been here four and a half years. I, I'm excited to see how each of us will grow. You know, like I think of a parent, I'm not a parent, but I think of a parent and a child. And when they see that child, you know, take the next steps and, well, or when they try and take the next steps and they stumble, they're generally not mad at that child, you know? And I feel like that's the heart of our father, you know? Our father sees us as children. He wants us to take steps toward him. And he's not going to condemn us if we fail, if we take those risks. So let's, let's pray, and then we're going to respond. We're going to have a, an extended time of, of prayer, and there will, be, there will be people up here um, to pray with you if, if you, if you want um, so yeah, let's let's pray. Uh Heavenly Father, I just I thank you for this word and it's amazing to see how the sons of Korah were were so in tune with how far you brought them out of you know, how how far you brought them, God. They should have died and swallowed, been swallowed by that, that, um, the earth. And in the same way, God, we, we, I just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to see how far you have brought us, God. You have taken us who are sinners. We were sinners. And through Jesus, you've given us new life, an inheritance, and a legacy that is unshakable in you, Jesus. And so I just pray that as we respond, God, that this we would be changed and transformed and that your Holy Spirit would empower us and that we would see you as our Father and that we would see, um, we would see that next step, God, that you want us to take, knowing that you are empowering us and that you're behind us, God. So we, we, we thank you, Jesus, for your, your agency in this place and in our lives now. In Jesus' name, amen.